is the sound of me applying sun cream to myself, which is something that I absolutely hate. But the reason I'm applying sun cream to myself is because it was a baking day yesterday, by which I'm referring, of course, to the fact that it was sunny and it was hot, just in case you were a bit confused and thought that uh, maybe the three of us had thought, oh, well, we're in Canada, but uh, we could go outside and see what's around and see the sights. But no, 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 to be honest, I fancy, uh, I don't know about you lads, but I fancy staying indoors and uh, maybe making a brioche. We applied the sun cream because it was an absolutely scorching day and uh, we were going to be spending that day on a horse. Well, on three horses, in fact. A horse each, basically. And we've dolloped from all sorts of different places and I thought that it might be nice to do an audio dollop from a horse. We're going to hear some stories from our guide who is leading our horse-based adventure, trekking through Banff in Canada. He'll be telling us an old story about a Canadian tribe and we'll be uh, hearing some interesting facts about mules and I shall be singing to some mules. Those stories and those discussions will be interspersed between some horse-based ambience which includes, you'll be pleased to hear, maybe you're thinking well this sounds all very well and good a story about an old Canadian tribe but I'm not sure I'm a busy person I've got a lot to do maybe I'll just switch this off and I'm not sure I've got the time. Well stay there for a second because we've got horse-based ambience including the sounds of horses pissing and farting. Oh yes, now I'm definitely tuning in. I might even listen to this twice. So that's what's coming up. And so let us now join our tour guide, Brandon, for dollop 212, dolloping from a horse. I'm afraid, sir, is that some recording equipment I can see in your pocket? Uh, yes. And would you be getting them to Winnie in that recording, sir? No, Winnie couldn't make it today. <laughs> Winnie's a bear, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Most often when the train comes through here, you won't hear it blow its horn. Whenever you do, that means there is something on the tracks, usually an elk, and the train does not stop. So if the horn doesn't do it, there's gonna be one less elk in the valley. Our trains usually get delayed if there's a few leaves on the track. Oh, really? You don't even stop for an elk. <laughs> oh, shaking your tail a bit there, my friends. You'll intimidate the horses doing that, Michael. Michael's just shaking his tail at the horses, everybody. This is their favorite corner to stop and go pee. They almost always get at least two. The mules that the packers use are younger and very temperamental and are not afraid to demonstrate their dislike of something. For example, music they don't like. The Packers will all, what they'll do, because the Packers ride out alone, so to keep, you know, to kind of deter the bears, they'll take a stereo with them and play some music. Yeah. But Is there a particular song that, well, or musical style that deters bears more than others? Not really. Uh, the grizzly bears actually kind of like rock and roll. Ah, okay. Um, but the mules actually have, are pretty picky about what genres they like. All right. So, so what kind of genre does a, a mule like then? Oh, there's lots. Music. Some of, them, some of them like country, some of them like folk, some of them like rock. 
Yeah. So the packers actually have to go, whenever they get a new mule, they actually have to go through their little playlist. Go through the playlist, and yeah. figure out if there's any songs that the mules hate, because if they <laughs> play that while they're on the trail, they'll just stop. Oh, it'd be interesting. So, play one of our songs, or our CD, to a mule, and yeah. see if it's uh, mule compatible. <laughs> It's actually because of cattle that country music became a genre of music. If you're a rancher and you're out on your horse, you're looking through the pasture for your cows, the last thing you want to do is surprise them. Because if you sneak up on them and you surprise your cows, they're gone. So what the old cowboys used to do is they'd go out and they would sing. They'd sing about how their lady done them wrong or how they were going to be in the bottle later or how the dog died and all those great country music scenes. And if the cows hear you coming, so they hear you singing, then they'll stay put because they know it's happening. Or maybe they'll think, I'm not going to run because he's had a depressing enough day as it is. His woman's just left him. We're going to rub salt into the wound. Well, that might be okay. And here's two of our mules right here. Ah, here's a little song. Da, 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 da. How are they responding there? Uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. Excellent. They did like a good C major scale, the mules. Seems like oh. If they didn't, they would have let you know. But there's actually a couple places around here that have some pretty cool stories about the shadows on their mountain. And the best one, there's a mountain about four hours away over in BC called, it's beside a town called Fernie. And the story goes that back in the day, there was a surveyor named William Fernie. And as he was mapping routes through the mountains and everything, he found a local native tribe. And as he was talking to them, he noticed that the chief's daughter had this beautiful polished black rock as part of her necklace. And he knew right away that it had to be coal. And so he thought he'd struck a gold mine. So he asked the chief where he had got it. But he refused to tell him because it was a sacred spot for their tribe. So eventually Fernie struck a deal with the chief that if he showed him where the coal mine was, he would marry the chief's daughter. But as soon as the chief showed him, Fernie took off and went right back to his company. And they came in and they set up a town and they named it after him in his honor. And the town of Fernie is, the actual town was a mining town. The story goes that the tribe's medicine man actually put a curse on the valley in revenge for what Fernie did to the tribe. The actual town of Fernie has flooded twice and burnt down once. And at a certain time of the day, it's around 4 or 5 o'clock, if you look up at the southwest face of the mountain, the shadows actually make the outline of a horse and a rider. And so the locals call it the ghost rider of Fernie, and they say it's the chief spirit still chasing William Fernie for what he did. And actually, three years ago, they actually had a ceremony in the town where the local native tribe ceremoniously lifted the curse. So they take it very seriously over there, but it's, it's very cool. If you look up and you can see it, it looks exactly like somebody on a horse. There's been yet another ill-researched and confusing write-up about our group. In the Canmore Festival programme, which we are playing this weekend, they got all the details about us right and describe our sound as largely unaccompanied, with occasional minimal accompaniment. But then, somehow, despite having managed to get all this information correct, they then include a photo of the wrong band and have a guess which band's photo they've used. Yep, it's the other young'uns. The Canadian Covers Band. <laughs> 
There they are, with drums, bass and electric guitar. You'd have thought that they might have realised, given that our write-up states that we are a largely unaccompanied band, but seemingly not. I wonder if us turning up in Canada and then performing on the other young'uns' home patch is going to cause more logistical problems for them. Are they going to get confused people booking the wedding covers band, thinking that it's us, only to get a shock when they turn up with their amps and drums? They better start learning some Irish Celtic country songs, just in case, as what the people who book the band expect will much depend on what write-up they've read. We're learning a few wedding classics just to be on the safe side, in case someone accidentally books us. Songs like Cliff Richard and Congratulations, which would actually be a good choice of song, because our publisher also looks after the royalties for Cliff Richard, meaning that he'd get paid by the venue every time we sung that song, and he could then give us some of the money. What a brilliant plan. So maybe all this confusion is a good thing, and it might prove rather lucrative for us. After all, I think it's doubtful that we'd be able to maintain our credibility as a folk group singing Cliff Richard songs, but it would be perfect for a wedding covers band. I got a nice surprise last night when a comment came in on Dollop 209 about our rather boring wildlife tour and hike, which is actually more like a lollop. Hi David, we have just been crying with laughter at your description of the wildlife tour. Jonathan and I were on the tour too, a couple of the decrepit pensioners you mentioned. Do you remember the ones from Leeds? We too were somewhat disappointed in the tour, which had been sold to us as a wildlife tour, but we very much enjoyed your company and Sean's company, not Michael's though, and coming across that black bear very much saved the day. I'm glad I looked up your website, I read out your description of the tour whilst crying with laughter, and Jonathan said, well that sounds like like our tour and I told him that it was the same tour and it was you who had written it. Thanks for the laughs. Hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Canada. From Diane. There are lots of people who ask me whether I make the things up that I talk about on these blogs so hopefully this has proved the veracity of my anecdotes. I mean, I suppose that you could argue that I might have made up the character Diane and her husband Jonathan and then left that comment myself, pretending to be the two people who were on the tour with us. But do you really think that I've got nothing better to do with my time? Okay, granted, I suppose I do write and record loads of nonsense and then publish it on the internet on a daily basis, so maybe I'm not helping my argument there. I'd like to think that they started reading the account of the wildlife trip and have now been hooked in and are going through the back catalogue. There's a lot to look forward to, including some really funny stuff about kettles. The odd thing about writing a public blog is that people that I am writing about might read it. I just want to clarify, Jonathan and Diane, that when I referred to unfit pensioners in the blog, that obviously didn't include you. In fact, I originally wrote a couple of hundred words in the blog about how impressed I was by your physique, fitness and agility, but Michael and Sean advised me to take it out. Apparently, I was coming across a little bit creepy and full-on. Let's just hope that Mr. Fatman and Alanis Morissette don't read Dollop 210. If you ever get chatting to either of them, could you please refrain from mentioning my blog? I know that it might be hard because it's obviously your natural conversation starter, but please try to refrain on this occasion. Back tomorrow, which will be our final day in Canada before heading back home to England. I was writing yesterday's dollop backstage at Canmore Festival. While I was writing, a woman came up to me and enthusiastically inquired about how I am managing to use my laptop given that I am blind. I explained to her that there is a voice telling me what is on the screen. Great! That's great! She excitedly replied. So, does it tell you what to type and then you type it? I assumed that she was joking, so I laughed. But then she said, No! No, I, I'm serious! Is that how it works? 
if the voice was telling me what to type, then why would I need to type it? Presumably, if the voice knows what I should be typing, then it can surely just put that text on the screen itself. If the computer did tell me what to type, and all I had to do was just follow its instructions, then it would certainly make writing these dollops a lot easier. But no, I have to do all the thinking and typing. The computer merely reads it back to me. She seemed impressed by the fact that I could type without the screen being on, and she asked me how I knew where the keys were. I explained that I could touch type, and therefore didn't need to be able to see the keyboard. But she didn't seem to believe me. She asked me to prove it, which involved me facing the other way while she shouted out letters, and then I pressed them. She seemed delighted by the fact that I got every letter spot on, and she applauded and whooped, as if I was an illusionist pulling off some impressive trick, rather than simply someone who was accurately hitting letters on a keyboard without looking. Which in fairness, is something that secretaries have been doing for years. She called a couple of her friends over to take a look. I was beginning to feel a bit embarrassed, given that I was now gaining more of an audience to demonstrate something that, in my opinion, wasn't at all impressive. Her friends didn't seem as enthusiastic about my ability to accurately hit letters on a keyboard, but did a good job of pretending that they were. I don't know who they thought they were humouring, me or her friend. She continued to shout out letters, and I continued to press them. You have a go! She said to one of her friends, Shout out some letters, and boy, he'll get it. I'm not sure what her thought process was here. Was she getting her friends to shout out letters because she was worried that they might think that the whole thing had been planned in advance, and that me and her had agreed on a sequence of keyboard presses rather than me actually knowing the letters that I was pressing? Maybe she'd misunderstood her friend's lack of enthusiasm to be due to scepticism about my authenticity. Her friends half-heartedly said some letters, and I typed said letters, until eventually her friends just toddled off. The woman asked me what I was writing. I lied and said that I was just doing some boring accounting stuff. After all, I didn't want her to know about this blog, as I knew I'd probably end up writing about this incident and wanted to avoid her reading it in case she took umbrage with my portrayal of her. When I'd said boring accounting stuff, I assumed that this would dampen her interest, but I should have realised that if this is the kind of woman who gets excited by a man pressing letters accurately on a keyboard, then maybe the mention of boring accounting stuff might also tickle her fancy. Can I have a look? She said, with an unsettling level of excitement in her voice. Not having any boring accounting stuff on my computer, I would either have to make an excuse about having to leave or explain about the blog. Ideally, I needed to stay here backstage as it was reaching the end of the day in the UK, meaning that I needed to quickly finish writing the blog and upload it using the backstage Wi-Fi. So I pretended that I'd now moved on from the boring accounting stuff in order to upload my daily blog, which I needed to get uploaded the next 15 minutes before midnight UK time. But she didn't take the hint. Can I see it? She said, ramping up the excitement levels even further. She'd been pretty excited before about looking at boring accounting stuff, and now she was nearly orgasmic at the thought of looking at a blog. I need to get this blog uploaded now, as it was a few minutes to midnight in the UK and we had a gig in half an hour. So I felt that I had no choice but to try and hurry this conversation along. So I gave her my website address. She very enthusiastically declared that she would definitely give it a read. Hopefully she will read yesterday's blog post and doesn't come back to check out today's. But just in case you are reading this, thanks, but you are bloody weird. By the way, that's not me saying that. That's the computer telling me to type that. Obviously, I think you're perfectly sane and normal, but I have no choice but to type what this damn computer is telling me to type. We arrived back in England earlier today, and more or less, as soon as I stepped off the plane, I was greeted by Jeremy Corbyn. 
It was a text message. Perhaps he'd started reading these dollops, I thought, and he's texting me to share his views on kettles. But no, it was just a standard public message asking whether I'd vote for him. I haven't really checked the news much while I've been away in Canada and have largely enjoyed three weeks of blissful ignorance. But now I'd only just stepped off the plane in England and already I was being jolted back into reality, instantly reminded about our country's political situation. The reality jolt was also helped along by the surly and abrupt nature of the airport staff. The Canadian airport staff had all seemed friendly and hospitable, but the English airport staff were much more austere and loudly barked instructions at us. A Canadian man, presumably a bit groggy after the flight, accidentally went into the wrong queue and was barked at by one of the women who was surveying the line. He apologised to the lady for the mistake, but she merely responded with, Quick, quick, you're holding everyone up. Move into the other queue, sir. He meekly apologised and joined the correct queue, lining up behind me. Welcome to England, I said to him, smiling. The man chuckled. I think he was a reassuring chuckle, although if I'd have got my smile wrong and did the constipated psycho killer instead, then it might have been a nervous chuckle, and in actuality, I'd only serve to make things even worse for the poor man. I never got the chance to properly find out because I was being barked at by the woman to tell me that it was time to get my passport checked. Our passports were verified and we were welcomed to the country with a bark of NEXT to indicate that I should move on and let the next person have a turn at being scowled and barked at. We then waited by the luggage carousel for the accordion and the guitar. One hour later, we were still waiting. There was no sign of the instruments. The carousel had deposited all of the cases, but there was still no accordion or guitar. Sean went to find a member of staff to see what might have happened. An announcement came over the PA, reminding us to keep all of our personal belongings with us at all times. Otherwise, they might be removed or destroyed. But we had no idea where our personal belongings were. There was a part of me worried that they might have gone missing for good. But then there was another part of me that realised that I didn't really have anything to write about today and imagined how good it would be if I could write a dollop about how my accordion in its hard case had been mistaken for a suspicious item and blown up. Yeah, that would be a great dramatic story for the dollop and it would probably get me a lot of extra visitors to my website and maybe even media attention. I began to think up jokes, just in case Sean came back and reported on the destruction of my accordion. Maybe I could make a joke about the member of staff at the fragile items desk, asking me whether I was checking anything in of significant value, and how I should have found a better choice of words than, Oh yes, this is worth a bomb. Eventually, Sean returned. They'd said that the instruments might not have been checked onto the plane, and maybe they were still in Canada. We then had to sign a long form detailing what was in the case, the dimensions and the colour of the case, the estimated value of the items. I decided that now wasn't a good time to do the it's worth a bomb joke, and so just wrote down the price of the instrument. We also had to provide our flight details and our names, phone numbers and addresses, so they knew where to send the item to, should they find it. We'll do our best, said the man, but he didn't sound particularly reassuring. They'd somehow already failed to simply put the instruments on a plane and then take them back off again when it landed. And now they were charged with the job of trying to locate the cases somewhere in Vancouver Airport, put them on another plane, take them off the plane and get them delivered to our address, which was a lot more complicated than the first easy bit they managed to mess up. As we walked out of the airport, I noticed that the escalator was no longer telling us to take extra care when using it. Perhaps someone at Gatwick Airport reads these dollops and made a note of my escalator observations and dealt with it, ready for my return. If you're reading today's dollop, my friend, then maybe you could do something about the barking surly staff and try and ensure my accordion doesn't get blown up. Although Michael's guitar, on the other hand, feel free. Do us all a favour. 
David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 217. I'm a bit dishevelled at the moment. My brain is rather addled. We eventually got back for six o'clock yesterday evening. After 24 hours of travelling because of the whole fiasco with the accordion and the guitar, that held us up quite a bit. And then because of that, we didn't get away. We were sort of delayed by about two hours and we didn't get away as quickly as we thought we were going to, which meant that we ended up hitting rush hour traffic and being stuck in an hour's worth of traffic jams. That delayed us even more, so we didn't get back until six o'clock. And I was so tired, having not slept for 36 hours. Trying to write yesterday's dollop, I was just falling asleep at the computer. I just kept drifting off at the computer. So I eventually managed to get to sleep at midnight. So all right, finally, I'll, I'm going to sleep absolutely brilliantly tonight because I've not slept for 36 hours. And then I woke up, went to the toilet, checked the time. It was four o'clock and I just could not get back to sleep. I just lay awake, my head buzzing. I tried, but I couldn't get back to sleep. And eventually at eight o'clock, I just gave up and got out of bed and started the day. I've been working on the young'uns in the mix stuff, which is the thing that we are doing at Folk East Festival, where folk music and pop music collide. So I've been busy doing that, and now it's coming up to 10 o'clock, and I still haven't done the dollop, and I'm getting very tired. I've been tired and slovenly all day. Four hours sleep in the last 50 hours, essentially, I think. And I need to get some sleep, because we're up early tomorrow. We've had our day off. We've been three weeks in Canada. Uh, we got back yesterday evening, and we're back on the road again to play at Sidmouth and Wickham this weekend. Yes, there's a barrel of laughs this dollop today, isn't it? Just like me. I'm in the kitchen doing the dishes. I like to think that some people might be enjoying this. It's like an ASMR thing, which we've talked about on previous dollops, where people enjoy feeling as if they're having a sensory experience due to sounds and being talked to. And so it doesn't have to be funny. Maybe this could just be sort of an ASMR dollop around the kitchen for people who enjoy the idea of just putting on their headphones and find it very relaxing to hear the sound of someone putting the dishes away while just talking a lot of nonsense at them, basically. You know, and someone might stumble across it. It might be a bit of a niche. Someone looking for... Oh, i tell you what I'd really like to hear. Creatively deprived, tired, jet-lagged blogger putting dishes away in kitchen. And uh, someone stumbles across this, and this might be the perfect... While you're listening to this, then this is rubbish. This is the worst one you've ever done, David. You know, there are some people... Well, maybe just one person, but there's someone out there, I think, listening to this now, really enjoying it. This is brilliant. I mean, the only way this could get better is if he started washing the dishes as well. Well, it's your lucky day, my friend, because I am. That's right. I'm about to wash the dishes as well. But anyway... If um, anyone is coming to see us at Sidmouth and Wickham and you've booked tickets especially for the reason of hearing me play the accordion, I apologise, but that is not going to happen because we still have not been reunited with the accordion. It is still, for all intents and purposes, lost. It could be anywhere still between Canada and Britain. Well, they might put it on the completely the wrong plane. It might be in Australia or something. I have no idea. I was just going to talk all the way over this, but uh, I think people, the ASMR listeners, will appreciate this. The sound of me squirting some washing up liquid. A bit empty, unfortunately. I don't think there's any washing up liquid really left in that. Oh, a bit of drama there. You see, it's getting exciting now, isn't it? Ran out of washing up liquid. Well, not quite ran out of washing up liquid. We just had enough for that one wash. But we will have run out for the next time.
there you go, a bit of extra drama there that I wasn't expecting. So that's the great thing about these stream of consciousness dollops and just talking. Things like that, unexpected little gems like that happen. You know, it's just it's going along all sedate, not really going anywhere. And then, oh, damn, we've run out of washing up liquid. Oh, no, we haven't. We've just got enough. Just things like that, moments like that. But don't worry, just because we haven't got the accordion and the guitar, it doesn't mean we're short on material. We've got loads of things that we can do instead. Michael will do his special burlesque dance routine for you. And uh, Sean has apparently got a rather interesting puppetry routine. Although, be warned, you might want to leave the children at home. But uh, anyway, the only other thing I've done today, other than brood about not sleeping and doing youngins in the mix stuff, is I went to the shop. Uh, I know a lot of people might be thinking, oh, here we go, another anecdote about Sainsbury's coming up. No, Morrison's, my friends. Because I think it's important to keep the blogs fresh. It's important to not be run-of-the-mill, not to be humdrum, not to be set in my ways. You know, you think, oh, here we go, another Sainsbury's anecdote. Well, we all work very well and good, and you'd enjoy that, but we've got to push the boundaries back. We've got to scale new heights. We've got to evolve, keep progressing. So I went to Morrison's and I was with Ben, my housemate, and uh, Ben chose to use the self-service checkout. And I think the concept of self-service checkout is a bit of a paradoxical one, really, because you never get to serve yourself. You always have to get assistance. So I'm doing a bit of observational comedy now, everybody. You know, self-service checkouts... Self-service checkouts, don't get me started. They, they're called self-service, but you never get to bloody serve yourself because every bloody time you get, please wait for assistance. Please wait for bloody assistance. They're called self-service checkouts. Why would I want to bloody wait for assistance for? If I wanted assistance, I'd have gone to a bloody normal checkout, wouldn't I? Not self-service. The clothes in the bloody name, self-service. But I can't serve myself, can I? Because you always say, please wait for assistance. Please, I can keep this going for half an hour. I reckon in certain circles, people will be lapping this up now. Not you, because you're more discerning, but I'm... Uh, that's my commercial setup sorted. If the folk music ever runs dry and I stop making me millions, we've managed to get the first two items to be recognised. Absolutely fine. But then the moment came. Now, normally, when I've shopped at Sainsbury's or Tesco, the one that people recognise the most, the one that people call is unexpected item in the bagging area. But not this machine. This machine said surprising item. I mean, firstly, I thought the word surprising was a little bit odd because it's a machine. And it said it like it was surprise as well. Surprising item in the bagging area. Surprising item. I think surprising is a bit too much of an emotive word for a machine. It's quite subjective. Unexpected is less emotive. No, it's a machine. It's been programmed with certain, to recognise certain things. For whatever reason, you've scanned something it hasn't recognised it unexpected. It wasn't expecting to see this. But surprising is a little bit more of an emotive, subjective word. Oh, bloody hell. I tell you... Oh, bloody hell! Oh, a bit more drama, ladies and gentlemen. A bit more drama. For some reason, the dirty pan, Ben has filled it with water, presumably to rinse it out. It had mashed potato in it, so presumably it was to stop the mashed potato sticking. But then he didn't, hasn't poured the water out. And I only have one bit of washing-up liquid. As you know, you'll remember that from earlier, people. But what about this surprising item, David? We'll, we'll come to that. There's so many things to look forward to. Just try and stay with us here. Try and stay with me. I know there's a lot of drama going on. 
So what I tried to do is I didn't want to have to tip the water out of the, of the bowl, the washing up bowl, because then I'd run out of washing up liquid. So I needed to try and tip the pan, the water from the pan, the cold water, out the, down the back of the sink. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. It was too heavy and my wrist shook. There wasn't enough of a gap between the bowl and the sink. And I ended up pouring some of it over the floor. Some of it's gone into the water, so now the water's really dirty. I've soaked my foot. I mean, I know what you're thinking. It all happened so fast, David. We didn't get a chance to really... Well, should we do a bit of an action replay? Do you think we can hear that again? I'll, I'll do it in slow motion, so now you can hear how it sounded and you can uh, understand it a little bit better here. So here is a, an action replay in slow motion. I lift up the pan... I'm trying to make a decision of where to pour it. I realise there's no gap at the back. I realise there's no gap at the front. I try and move the bowl. Oh. But as I move the bowl, my hand shakes because the pan is so heavy. Oh. Bang! That's the sound of it sloshing in the bowl there. Dirtying the water, mashed potato and water in the sink. No washing up liquid left. What am I going to do? And then, to add it further insult to injury, this bit here. Pour it all over my foot. Soaking the floor and tarnishing the water. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A bit more drama there than I wasn't expecting. And that's the beauty of doing these audio dollops, is because when you're writing it, things like that just can't happen. Now, my sock is absolutely soaking. Anyway, so you might be wondering what the surprising item was. Well, of course you are. We might be wondering. So the surprising item was a carton of milk which I really don't think is particularly surprising. I mean, it's not as if I'd like... If I'd presented it with, like, an antique washing mangle or something, then that, yeah, fair enough. So probably this is a carton of milk. I'm not sure why the first thing that came into my head was antique washing mangle. I was just trying to think of a random thing. For some reason, antique washing mangle was the thing that came into my head. If there are any psychologists listening to this, what does an antique washing mangle represent? Any ideas? Anyway, it was a carton of milk, and then it said, please wait for assistance. And it wasn't just us. Everyone around us who was using these self-service checkouts all i could hear was was it saying surprising item and please wait for assistance about six self-service checkouts just shouting please wait for assistance and all the members of staff were going around just swiping it in manually typing in a code or whatever and then clearing off and that's that little story nothing really <laughs> nothing really has happened to me today anyway so i don't think i've got anything else to say i might leave you with a cheeky bit of the youngins in the mix oh Oh, steady on. Hang on, I'm going to leave you with a tiny amount. There you are. That's as much as you're getting for now. Crash! Bang! And nearly no dollop. Apologies if there is anybody who religiously waits for these dollops to be released every day, only to be disappointed when a dollop comes in late. The reason for today's dollop's late arrival is due to Catherine, who has read every single dollop and has also commented on a great deal of them. She was at Sidmouth Festival, where we were performing today, and we got chatting. And before I knew it, it was half past twelve. I felt that given that she'd listened or read, or even apparently often listened and read every single dollop, this should excuse me from feeling too guilty that the dollop was late. I suppose, in a way, 
clear she was getting her own personal dollop, although a part of me was wondering whether she was disappointed with the physically present me, maybe thinking, he's a lot less interesting when you actually meet him in real life. In fact, he's rather dull. He hasn't even mentioned kettles once. I wonder if she was constantly comparing me to the other David Eagle. David Eagle, the dolloper. What is he going on about now? The dolloping David wouldn't have said this. Currently, the physically present me is an absolute wreck. I have had approximately seven hours sleep in the last 80 hours. I feel tired, but I am just unable to sleep. Eventually, I managed to fall asleep at 6am, but at 8, my alarm was going off. It was time to set off for Sidmouth Festival, even though there's capital letters all over the place after a comma... It's very badly written, this. And I haven't corrected it, because it kind of shows just how tired I am. I don't think... I very rarely make spelling mistakes. Quiet, Jules. Very rarely make spelling mistakes or like grammatical errors or sloppy writing and stuff. I think it's written pretty well normally. I read the back and I think it's normally written pretty well, but this one's a shambles, because I was so tired. It was time to set off the Sidmouth Festival. Even though I knew it wouldn't serve any purpose at all, my brain was screaming out for me to hit the snooze button, giving me another extra six minutes in bed. If I didn't hit snooze, then I would have to get up immediately, as I knew that staying in bed for another six minutes would result in me falling back asleep. I'd spent six hours lying in bed, praying for sleep to come, and now my bloody brain was desperate to go back to sleep, and the prospect of getting up made me want to cry. My head was aching, and everything felt heavy, but there was no time to snooze. I needed to get up now, and so I chose not to use the snooze option. The next thing I was aware of was the sound of my phone ringtone. Shit! I should have pressed the snooze button. I had presumably lost the fight to get out of bed, and without the snooze alarm waking me, I had been allowed to fall into a deep sleep. How long had I been asleep for? This was clearly Sean calling to find out where I was. I answered the phone, putting it on speaker so as to quickly get dressed while he spoke, in order to try and get out of the house as quickly as possible. Just how late was I? I jumped out of bed and threw a shirt over my head. I heard Sean's voice coming over the phone speaker. Unfortunately, I couldn't make out what he was saying because of the sound of my shirt rustling against my ears as I desperately tried to quickly put it on, which resulted in me getting the sleeves all tangled. Then it says, and taking mic, as in M-I-C, like a microphone, taking longer than the second it should have taken. Basically what I'm saying is it took a lot longer to put the shirt on than it should have taken, but I've no idea why I've written Mike in there, M-I-C. Very badly written. I was clearly ridiculously tired because I was really struggling to get this shirt on. My arms were now poking through the gap in between the buttons. And all the while, Sean was talking, probably wondering where I was. I was in a massive tangle inside the shirt. But if I kept trying to get out of this fabric maze, I would completely miss what Sean was saying, which would make him even more annoyed than he surely already was, for I dreaded to think how long I'd overslept for. So I left the shirt to dangle absurdly over my head while I tried to make out what Sean was saying. He had received a call from someone at Gatwick Airport saying that the accordion and the guitar had been found and that they could get it to us in Sheffield by 9.30. The original plan had been to allow plenty of time to get to Sidmouth, perhaps managing to cram in a couple of hours of sleep when we got there. Sean had hardly slept the day before either, but we now had to wait for the missing instruments to be delivered. It appeared that I hadn't really gone back to sleep because it was only five minutes past eight. I concluded the call to Sean, untangled myself from the shirt and tried to wake myself up with a cold shower. I was so tired that I felt as if I was going to be physically sick. I chose a cold shower as I feared that I would fall asleep if it was a hot shower. Even though today's dollop is clearly unfinished and it's shambolically written, it certainly is, I am going to leave it here as I keep falling asleep at the computer and then waking up a few seconds later. I shall continue from where I left off tomorrow. I will have to publish this now before I completely crash out, slump over the computer and properly fall asleep. 
two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Oh dear, sorry, I'm just desperately trying to keep myself awake by doing star jumps because uh, I'm, a, I'm sort of fearful that I'm going to fall asleep again. This is the first opportunity that I have had to record today's dollop and it is 11 o'clock and I am feeling very tired. I did manage to get some sleep last night after finishing yesterday's dollop. Oh, it's such a strange thing to uh, experience this jet lag. It's like I've never really had it before. I didn't get anything like this when we were in Australia. So the reason I'm recording today's audio dollop is just going to be a very quick one is just because if I start writing again, I'm going to do like I did yesterday and just fall asleep at the laptop while writing it. And Michael was observing this because he was in the same room. He said he woke up and he saw me. This is about half one in the morning. So yes, the dollop was late. And he said he saw me just slumped over the laptop. He was just about to say something, sort of to wake me up and say, are you going to bed? Not, are you coming to bed? Not like that. Are you coming to bed? Oh, I haven't got enough energy tonight, Michael. So anyway, so Michael saw me slumped over the laptop, snoring, apparently. And then all of a sudden, apparently I just jolted out of my sleep and then just frantically started typing again. And I did that for about 30 seconds and then fell back asleep again. And Michael was just looking mesmerised by this weird spectacle. (laughs) Me just sleeping, waking up quickly typing something, sleeping again, and oh my god. And from my perspective, all I remember is thinking this is absolute crap that I'm writing, and then trying to read it back again to find out what I'd written and try and make some semblance of sense. And I think it was the act of doing that with the voice just doing its monotonous robotic thing in my ears, the screen reader. And I think hearing the robotic monotonous voice just reading out what I've written lulled me to sleep. And then I forget what I'd written again. So then I just and I forget that I'd even written anything, so I just start typing again. So that's an apology for yesterday's dollop, but I'm sure you'll agree I've more than made up for it with this one. So that's all right then, isn't it? Just a couple of things before I say goodbye. My accordion arrived back. It was delivered to us at she- in Sheffield. I think when they said that the accordion had got lost and they've put it on the wrong plane, I think is what happened. I think they must have accidentally put it on a military plane to Syria or something. Because when I opened the case, my God, it's got like two massive cracks in the accordion. Some screws are missing. Some of the things are bent. So we were ringing up the airline company trying to find out what the heck had happened and didn't get any success to that regard. And then we thought, right, we really need to set off to the festival now. And we were both really tired as well me and Sean and we thought if we're lucky we might get like two hours sleep before our sound check at six o'clock but because we'd set off late we got stuck in loads of traffic we got there and we were desperate to just park up and go to sleep we would have had about an hour and a half's worth of sleep I tried to sleep in the van and I did sort of fall asleep but it's very difficult to sleep in the van and my head just kept jerking backwards and forwards up and down but I told Michael I said stop I can't keep doing this I'm sick of doing sexual favours anyway and then we were looking for somewhere to park we arrived at the place we would have got about an hour and a half sleep if we could have parked straight away but we had to try and find somewhere to park and as we were trundling the van through the festival looking for somewhere to park people kept stopping us hello it's the young'uns and having a chat and oh it was that odd combination of like being nice and talking to people and but also just getting progressively more and more like angry <laughs> angry because all we wanted to do is get to sleep and then we got the world's most talkative parking attendant who just t- 
talked to us incessantly about all sorts of stuff. He said, oh, you, you look tired, lads. And we said, oh, yeah. We, yeah, I said, oh, well, anyway, we, we best get parked and we're trying to get a bit of sleep before our gig. We're only going to get about an hour, but uh, yeah, we're going to try and get a little bit of sleep before our sound check because we've got jet lag. We've just been to Canada. Oh, Canada. Oh, I've been to Canada. Which which part of Canada? And you can't go, no, no, mate, seriously, we're, we're tired. We haven't got to sleep because we're too polite. So instead, so I explained where we were and he's like, oh, I've been there before, been there before. Very good. Did you see this? Did you see that? <laughs> Just talk. So anyway, by the time we got into the hotel, we had 40 minutes until our sound check. So there was no time to sleep. There was no point sleeping. Anyway, so there you go. Hopefully that was a bit of a better dollop than yesterday's. I mean, it's not the greatest thing to aspire to, but uh, I'm going to get some sleep and then I'll be back tomorrow with dollop 220. Thank you for listening. Good. <laughs> Yeah.